This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with us and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Before we get to the show, I just want to mention a few things. Initial Ascent Packs, they're awesome. I used a 2K all last season. I'm still using it now for stuff. Uh, I'm going to be using it for uh, training, for uh, prepping for my hunt and getting some miles in with some, uh, some weight on my back. And I uh, just recently picked up a 6K, and it's going to be awesome as well. Plan on using it on my elk hunt along with the 2K if I'm doing some day hunts or something and having a base camp. But uh, if I'm packing on my back and going in there, depending on where I'm at, I'm going to be using that 6K. Uh, Dennis and Joe are amazing people. What's awesome about that company is you can reach out to them, and they're the ones who are going to answer your call and actually talk to you about their product. And you're going to even get a handwritten note from them thanking you for your purchase and uh, wishing you luck on that hunt. And I just find that is super awesome and amazing in this day and age to have somebody that does that for you. And uh, actually, handwrites a note for you is just amazing. And uh, on top of that, it's an American-made product. And one thing about this podcast is, and myself, is just that anything that's American-made that I can support or get behind and it's a quality product, I'm going to talk about it. This is not a paid promotion. I'm honestly just talking to you about an amazing pack. So uh, check them out. If, if you don't have one or you're looking for a pack, give, give them a try. Uh, you'll like it for sure. And then on top of that, we're going to talk about TreelineAcademy.net. TreelineAcademy.net is the most comprehensive e-scouting course ever, ever made. Mark Livesey is just an amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge, and he's willing to share that with everybody. So uh, check that out and see what's going on there with that. Use promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20% on sign up. It's awesome. And uh, actually, it's not 20%. It's 20 bucks. Save yourself $20 off a of sign up. Then the next one I want to talk about is Basemap. Basemap app with their hunt data, 
the the online mapping system for e-scouting, setting waypoints, smart markers. Uh, so you have all your hunt data on the wind and anything, as long as you have a cell signal. It's absolutely amazing. There's so much more that's coming out. They've updated their offline maps, so they're way, way, way faster than they used to be, which I know a lot of people were actually kind of complaining about that, but now they're lightning fast. I've downloaded them, used them. It's awesome. On top of that, they've got some new updates that are coming out that are just going to blow you away. Can't talk about them yet, but we will be talking about them. So check them out. Use promo code PC25. Save yourself 25% on sign up. Only on the website, not on the app. And with that being said, let's get to our show. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Dirk Durham. And uh, Dirk, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Oh, hey there. Uh, Dirk Durham here. Uh, AKA the bugler. Um, I'm the sales and marketing manager for Phelps game calls and, um, I'm an elk. I'm just an elk hunter, man. I've been, uh, some people live to make money. Um, I live to, to go elk hunting. So, um, everything I do is, is kind of revolves, revolves around elk hunting. So, uh, seems kind of narrow-minded. I do have some (laughs) other interests too. You know, I like, I like deer hunting and camping and of course family but but uh you know as far as my main thing i'm into is elk hunting so so what did you do before you actually worked for phelps um so my lot my past life right before phelps um i worked at night force optics um as the purchasing agent there and worked there for nine years um before that i am in another life before that i worked uh for a, a company called les schwab tires it's the biggest uh independently owned tire company in the northwest um of us and i uh, spent 18 years at that uh, salt mine and uh <laughs> and before that i went to high school so that's, that's about it so what was it like? I mean, working at Night Force Optics, I mean, you were the purchasing guy. So you were actually like purchasing the glass from certain places, sourced from different places or what, what was kind of the, the deal there? I'm kind of curious. I like optics. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in charge of purchasing mostly like raw materials, um, tooling and such. Um, I had a partner that he did some uh, purchasing as well. And he did a lot of the, the, the pre-made parts that, you know, we had, uh, sourced, um, out, out, out of how, out house, outhouse, <laughs> the, the, the parts that we didn't build, you know, that we outsourced, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was a great job, great company to work for. And, um, a lot of really great people I worked with and made some really good lifelong friendships there. And, uh, miss that place a lot, you know, I work so, from home now. So it's, it's kind of weird, you know, cause I, I really enjoyed the social aspect going to work every day, see my buddies and, and, uh, we all had, you know, everybody there, you know, and in fact, not just my close friends, but everybody there has a kind of same mindset. You know, we, we all love the outdoors and we all loved, uh, uh, hunting and shooting and, and, uh, it was a really cool place to work. So I'm kind of curious now because it's got my mind working, you're an archer, you know, I mean, mostly bow hunter, right? But do you, yeah. uh, do you pick up the rifle and, uh, pursue game that much oh, anymore? Or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So archery elk is my main focus of, or my main mode of operation for elk hunting. But, um, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not some purist, you know, I, <laughs> I, I just love hunt. I just love hunting. Yeah. Right. So if I can chase elk with a rifle, I'm going to do it. Uh, enjoyed it. You know, I grew up hunting deer with a rifle and, and, uh, still love to deer hunt with a rifle, but, uh, I, I like elk hunting with a rifle too. Um, yeah, it's a little different to play different mindset and different gears. You're, you're kind of shift into a different gear, you know, to, to rifle hunt elk versus bow hunting elk. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would chase them with a muzzleloader, you know, if, if I had the opportunity. So nice. So let me ask you this then, is that, uh, is that rifle topped with the night four scope then, or. Um, I've got some night four scopes, uh, on my, my guns. Uh, these days I've been putting loopholes on, uh, nothing wrong with night force at all. Uh, I love those guys. Got an awesome quality product. Um, Phelps lines up with night force, you know, Jason is, has a long relationship with them and, with, um, with loophole for me or with, yeah, yeah with loophole. loophole and, and for me, um, you know, it makes sense for us all to play on the same team. And, um, you know, you can't argue that loophole isn't a quality product. It's been around for ever, um, American made good, solid people that work there. And, uh, what I, what I really like about loophole is they have the full package. Um, you know, whether it's range finders, binoculars, spotters, uh, rifle scopes, sunglasses, they, they cover the gap <laughs> in and, and sunglasses. <laughs> um, you know, they, they cover the gamut, <laughs> they cover the right. gamut, which night, night force they're, they're more into, you know, precision, long range shooting. Um, they, they have a little different market strategy, which doesn't really line up with what I do as much. So, um, anyway, that's, which is unfortunate because they're, they're great people and good company too. So, no, that's, that's definitely cool. So, um, kind of curious then, you know, you switched camo a few years ago. Um, yeah. what was the driver behind that? The Phelps, the Phelps relationship with first light or. I know some people gave you some flack on social media about it and stuff. I kind of saw that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, yeah, it's, you know, like I say, you know, if you're all, if you're working in the same place, it's always good to be on the same team. seems like uh, you have more power if you're all aligned in the right, in the, in the same, in the same, uh, the same gear and stuff, which, um, you know, and I, I feel like the people at first light, they kind of, the people behind the brand line up better with me and my core core interests and values and stuff. I, I, I just feel, I feel more comfortable with their crew than I did with, uh, the other guys. So nothing to say about anything bad about Sika. You got an awesome product and, and good company. Just, I felt, you know, a little better with the first light guys. So, so I gotta, I, I'm like, <laughs> and Phelps never told me, he's like, yeah, you have to change. He, he didn't, he never said any of that ever, but, um, you know, you, you weigh your options and you look things over and, and uh, it made the most sense. So, so I gotta, I gotta say then, um, we're the whole first light, um, meat eater, everything. And now kind of the acquisition of Phelps within that, were you kind of nervous about that at first? Or, I mean, it seemed like kind of a big change, you know, going from just, just Jason running the company and you, you work in and I mean, how did that work out? Right. So when Jason and I first start talking about it, you know, he's like, Hey, uh, get this. And he kind of lays it all out and tells me what's been going on and you know, the talks they've been having. And he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, he kind of told me a little bit about all of it. And I'm like, well, 
knowing him the way I know him, I'm like, I think you're crazy not to <laughs> pursue it. Um, because the man, you know, he had a, a full-time job as an engineer. Then his side gig was Phelps game calls. That's what he did on the side. So, uh, imagine trying to slip in some family time in that, in that kind of a work schedule, you know, I, I don't know how much he even slept because, um, he'd work late nights and the next morning he'd be up early and I'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm building some calls for somebody. I'm like, why are you building calls? He's like, well, I, you know, I made promises and, you know, he had a friend or, or people, or, or maybe one of our big, uh, maybe one of our big, uh, dealers put in a big order and we just got to make the cut. So the man was, you know, in, in the, in the trenches grinding. So, um, knowing all that, and, you know, he told me about a lot about the acquisition and, and I said, man, I, I think you'd be crazy not to do that. You're probably going to get your life back, you know, to some degree, um, you know, have more time with your kids. Your kids are, you know, they're growing up, you know, have time with your kids, your wife and family and, and, uh, so, and he told, you know, he told me how everything was going to be laid out and, and how they were going to take care of him and take care of me. And I'm like, yeah, that, I mean, that sounds really great. Um, so we moved forward. Um, they acquired the company and they, uh, he said, now, hold on. Now, what if, what if you guys, you guys can buy Phelps game calls and then be like, all right, Jason and Dirk, see you later. Bye. And he said, Steve Ranella said, he's like, yeah, we could buy Phelps game calls, but it wouldn't be Phelps game calls anymore if you didn't have Jason and Dirk there. So, right. you know, we could own it, but who's going to buy stuff from them anymore, right? <laughs> so, so they, they really want us to be part of it and continue, you know, continually be part of it. So, you know, they, they made us, you know, they're taking really good care of us, you know, for everything. And um, it just, it's been good. Um, now, it's funny because Jason will talk about like, he's he's people people may not give him as much credit as as he gets as he's due because he's a he's kind of a genius right and he'd never tell you this right but he's kind of a genius and where he, he's got all this stuff in his head like he didn't have all of his stuff written down as far as where he gets everything and and all the all the little details of the behind the scenes details of business it was all inside that steel trap brain of his instead of having everything written down like formally written down like a a normal company would you know it's kind of a mom and pop operation with a lot of tribal knowledge so extracting all that tribal knowledge from his brain and getting everything um functioning like a normal you know corporation would you know that's been a lot of work um so from the first of the year here uh and, and even now i mean we're still working through a lot of that stuff and just you know getting our operations um dialed in um and it's been good because they they're like, hey, we're not going to tell you guys how to run your company. You guys obviously know what you're doing. Um, we're just going to give you some tools to uh, to make it easier and to to run it at a bigger scale. So, so it's been really good. Nice, nice. So I kind of wanted that wasn't even what we really I asked you on the show for, but it just kind of popped up as we're moving along <laughs> here, you know. And uh, curiosity yeah. figured I'd uh, hear it from you guys, but um, I kind of wanted to talk about calling and sequences and you know for a beginner that doesn't have you know the full tool bag of calls what sh what should they focus on 
to try and perfect first before they start moving on and doing different things. Is there anything that kind of stands out or sticks out? Well, I feel like if, if you're just super new at calling and you're just really wanting to learn how to call, um, I would say crawl before you walk. Um, a lot of folks will pick up an elk call and they'll put it in their mouth, put a diaphragm in their mouth and blow on it in mind, thinking in mind um, that they're going to bugle right off the bat. Like, okay, seen these guys do it on TV or uncle Joe did it or whatever. And they're going to bugle and they put this thing in their mouth and it, they either get the gag reflex or it tickles the hell out of their tongue. Right. And they're like, ah, I can't do this. And I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot, you know? Um, so I like to tell people crawl before you walk. I mean, um, you don't see some Olympic high diver, you know, first day <laughs> in the pool, jump, getting on the high dive and doing all these cool flips and twists, right? No, you gotta, you gotta learn how to just make noises and turn those noises into elk, elk sounds. So um, learn the fundamentals of making noises and turn those into elk sounds, learn how to cow call. Okay. Once you let, get down, cow calls good. Okay. Now, now you're starting to learn how to ma to manipulate the sound tones on that diaphragm. Okay. Now try to bugle. Um, and then as you work your way through it, you know, maybe some of your listeners, they're really like, oh, heck, I've been calling elk for a long time, but everyone could improve. I can improve. Right. So don't do the stuff you're good at, do the stuff you suck at. So it's like, oh man, I can make a really good bugle, but my chuckles suck. There's no need to practice your bugles, practice your chuckles, you know, work on those kind of fundamental things. And then as you, as you work on those and you get better, you'll find the stuff that you were good at before you're even better at now. Cause you're really learning to that control of the diaphragm and, and, uh, that's what it's all about. So I, one thing that I notice is everybody wants to pick up a bugle tube and right off the bat, they try and do like a locator and throw some chuckles in there or something like that. I mean, yeah. is that something that is realistic or is it something that maybe if you're already involved in a sequence with a bowl or something, is that something you apply then or how, how does that happen? Um, yeah, you can do that. Um, I have a kind of a scenario or a sequence I always do. Uh, and I'm not saying it's right. Or I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, this is kind of what I do. And what I'm doing is I'm experimenting with different sounds um, that I'm trying to get a reaction, trying to get an answer. And then whichever call I get an answer to, then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to kind of stick with that call. So my very first call will be kind of like a locator bugle with no chuckles. Okay. If I'm trying to locate elk, right. So just something um, loud that carries, right. Is that what yeah, you're kind yeah, of trying that to long, do? long stretched out high note. Right. And then, um, hold on, I'll do one for you. I got a reader out here somewhere, probably. You'll, all right. I don't know. This reads pretty old, but I think it'll work. So here's, here's that locator bugle. I think we, I think we overmodulated there. I'll turn it down if you want to try and do it again. Okay. Yeah, we got it. Okay. Okay. So um, you can start out with that. You can start out with something a little more aggressive. Um, but before I ever do that bugle, I'll, I'll throw out a few cow calls. And, I, and especially if I've just 
got to this spot where I want to call from, I'll, I'll do a really quiet couple cow calls. And do them very quiet because you never know. There could be a bull just out of sight that you've walked up on and you don't want to spook him. You know, it's kind of like walking into your, your bedroom and the wife's folding laundry or something. And you said, Hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> She's like, Oh my gosh, you scared me to death. You know? Um, so you don't want to like startle animals that may be close by. So I'll give them a couple quiet ones. And then I'll give a couple louder ones to make sure, you know, there's something out there at a distance that doesn't want to answer a, a cow call. Then I'll do that locator bugle. Then I'll wait for a while. Um, maybe a minute or two, then I'll give a couple more cow calls, nice loud ones, and I'll wait a couple minutes. Then my next bugle is going to be uh, just a little more aggressive. It's going to be kind of a full bugle with some uh, with a couple of grunts on the end. So I'll go ahead and do that for you. It's not super threatening. It's pretty, it's pretty unthreatening, but we got the grunts on the end and some bulls want to answer to that for whatever reason. I've had bulls that would only answer me when I grunted. I've had only some bulls that only answer me if I didn't grunt. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's an experiment. And before I move on to the next spot, my last bugle, I'm going to give them a big, nasty, lip ball lip ball that means you're buzzing your lips the lip part lip and then it makes kind of a bawling noise that big raspy growly bugle that bulls will make and i'll go ahead and do one of those for you <laughs> i added in a bunch of of uh pretty aggressive grunts at the end too i won't trying to paint a picture in a bull's mind from a distance that hey maybe there's a maybe there's a hot cow up there or something i'm i'm just trying to get, oh it's almost like a a shot gobbler or something to get a turkey to gobble right i'm just going to throw a few different things at to get a reaction from the bull and then play it from there and if i don't hear nothing after three maybe four of those bugles in a in a five to ten minute period I'm walking again. I'm moving. I'm I'm going to go into the next little spot where I think my my bugle can carry. It might be a hundred yards. It might be a quarter mile. Just depends on how far that last those last calls were carrying. I want to have some new ground for my new my next calls to carry into. So, are you going to approach your calling different whether or not you're in timber or in say like a drainage versus on a vantage point or something like that? Or are you still going to try and use the same calling to try and locate something it'll be same same story yeah okay and are you like so say say you're there and you're you pull up to the trailhead and you got your gear on you're loaded up and you're ready to start hiking in Are i mean are you going to start calling right away or are you going to wait until you get to like a certain destination or a point where you think you could ambush an elk first thing i do when i get out of the pickup uh get out and have my calls and I make some calls right at the pickup because sometimes there will be elk with an earshot of the truck. Sometimes they're pretty close, just depending on the area, hunt, you know, if you pull up to a trailhead and there's 47 pickups parked there, the chance of hearing a bugle from there are a lot 
more slim. I, I would say I, I may not bugle at that point, especially, you know, let's say you're, you've got a long trail ahead of you and you're just not really in, in country right there at the trailhead that'll hold elk. I, I may forego that. I may just like, well, I'm going to throw my pack on and, and get back in there to where I start looking at, I start seeing um, elky looking type country, you know? Okay. You want to describe elky like looking country for everybody so they can get a picture in their head, paint it. Okay. Well, elk need a few things to survive, right? They need, they need food, they need water and they need cover. Um, now if you're hunting in Nevada, the, the cover is going to look a little bit different than it does in uh, North Idaho, right? Um, in, in Nevada, there's not much at all for cover, you know, but you're going to be looking for those places that where an elk could hide depending on, on uh, what time of day it is. You know, let's say it's right at daylight and you're close to an area where it looks like the elk may feed. You're, you're probably going to want to call there because they've spent the night feeding and then they're that morning time they'll be transitioning to their bedding area up into my like maybe a more wooded area um with a north face typically uh, a north facing slope with with heavy timber on it that elk love those kind of places to go lay down uh, offers them security cover from you know being seen by predators or people and uh it also offers them a lot of shade and september can be pretty hot and, and the bulls will you know they'll get worked up pretty good and and they don't mind those shady places to lay down in the middle of the day. So unless you're hunting Colorado, in which case they just defy all odds and forego most of those things for uh, sanctuary against pressure, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, those are, those are you know, just kind of stereotypical places. Um, but you can find elk on south-facing slopes. You can yeah. find them on any slope of the mountain. But, but as a rule, um, they, they kind of they kind of do that kind of stuff, you know, um, if you're hunting an area with a lot of people in it, you know, those, those, uh, elk, those likely places you might find an elk might be up a steep face. that looks almost like cliffs and get to the top of it. And there's a basin back in there. That, that looks pretty elky to me. You know, that's, that would be a likely place to maybe find some elk, but it's going to take a lot of sweat equity to get there. So, um, those are the kind of places I'm looking for. Nice. So can you kind of describe a little bit more like the process it takes to do some of those calls that you did, like um, how you actually put the emphasis on your, your, uh, the grunt at the end or things like that. Can you kind of describe that, how, you know, where your tongue hits or how it, you apply pressure to the read? Sure. So um, basically I would start off especially for new people and people that have been doing this for a while, these little exercises will make you a better caller. They'll, they'll, they'll let you develop better control of your diaphragm. And what you want to do right off the bat is make this mosquito noise, right? You want to hit this high note with your diaphragm. You don't have to push very hard. You just, you just want to push hard enough with your tongue to seal it off to keep any air from coming out. You don't want to let air escape around, the, around your tongue and outside your teeth you want to you want to seal it off so completely so there's no air coming. Then you're going to relax your tongue just a little bit and let some air seep across that latex on the diaphragm, and just enough to make where it makes a little noise, kind of like this. Kind of sounds like a mosquito, yeah. right? So then to turn that noise into a cow call, you're going to just kind of relax your tongue. 
Okay, you're gonna let relax your tongue and you're gonna drop your jaw just a little bit. So you'll help you'll hold that high note and then you'll relax your tongue. And then shorten it up. So that's how you make a cow call. And then to do a bugle, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to hit that high note mosquito noise for that locator bugle. We're going to hold it. And then we're going to, we're going to drop your tongue off a little quicker. Not so smooth like you do with the cow call, but you're going to drop it off a little quicker, drop your jaw a little bit. And then at the end, you're going to give a noise. You're going to use, you're going to inflect your voice a little bit. Like somebody just punched you in the gut. You picture getting punched in the gut, right? <laughs> Give me your lunch money. Whack. Right. <laughs> oh. Oh. And you can you can control the air pressure a little bit here too. If you're struggling hitting a high note, remember push hard with your tongue, and you can put a little bit more less or a little bit more air pressure to it. That's, that's the biggest thing is, is air control across there. So with the bugle, of course, you're going to blow a little harder than you would with a cow call. So without a, without a tube, it doesn't sound very good. But with the tube, it, it helps out a lot. It helps articulate those notes and gives, a, gives a, uh, the big hollow sound, that big bass hollow sound at the end. So I'll go ahead and do one with, and then I'll do one without, or without the tube, and I'll do one with. Oh. Yeah, that definitely uh, made a difference. Yeah. So, so, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna, I'll, I'll continue on here. Yeah. We'll get through these real yeah. quick. So then to do a full bugle, you're going to want to start out the bugle with your, your diaphragm barely touching your tongue. You're going to barely have any contact at all with, with your uh, diaphragm. And then you're going to slowly push harder. And then you're, you're going to start out with giving off very little air pressure. And as you climb the notes, the octave scale, you're going to push harder with your tongue and you're going to push harder with your breath until you reach the top, get that top note, you hold it, then you just drop it off at the end. And then when you drop it off, we're, we're, re we're relaxing our tongue and dropping our jaw a, bit, a little bit. So it comes off pretty quick on the backside. So here it is without the tube. And at the beginning, you're inflecting your voice a little bit. And you're not going, you're not growling like, like a dog or something. You're more, you're making a noise. It's almost like you're clearing your throat. Less is more, right? You're kind of like, Making yeah. it like <laughs> you're wheezing a little bit. That's what the sound is you want to inflect in the beginning. And then to do a, a chuckle or a grunt, uh, a grunt is longer. It's like a longer, more pronounced, stretched out note where a chuckle is like a quicker staccato, right? So here's a grunt. And here's the chuckles. But basically, those are exaggerated cow calls. Remember those cow calls we learned earlier? We're going to do those, but we're going to speed them up. It's going to be a quicker note, and it's going to be a lot more profound and a lot more exaggerated, more air pressure. And we're going to inflect our voice at the end. It's like, remember that punch to the gut? 
Adding that punch to the gut. Then you can speed up the tempo, slow it down, depending on what you're trying to do. So I'm kind of curious, how did you um, learn or develop? I mean, I'm sure people have taught you different calls and things like that, but I mean, was there anything that you just sat down and tried to mimic elk sounds or what, what, uh, what kind of led you to learn all the different sequences and calls? So I've been calling elk for 32 years, right? Started when I was 15 years old. Back then we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have, didn't have anything hardly except for some VHS tapes some cassette tapes and then books, of course, you know, books, you could learn about tactics and stuff, but, uh, watching some old VHS tapes, you know, like Larry D. Jones, some of those old guys back in the old days, the, 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 the real pioneers of calling <laughs> of elk. Right. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't really tell you the mechanics of it, but they kind of tell you how to, how to do it. And then how to, you know, what you should be doing elk hunting a little bit, you know, it wasn't super instructional, a little bit more entertaining, a little bit of elk construction. So it was just trial by uh, trial, trial and error. Um, first put my first diaphragm in my mouth when I was 13, uh, learn how to hunt turkeys. And then, uh, so I'd already kind of been through the gag and tickle uh, part of, of using a diaphragm. So I kind of had knew where to put it. And, and as you know, kids like to annoy their parents, right? So that I think kids pick up elk calling really well because because they, they'll put the, the, the diaphragm in their mouth and they'll experiment making all sorts of silly noises, right? So as a kid, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm singing the Star Spangled Banner with a, a diaphragm in my mouth, you know, and little things, just making all sorts of weird noises. So then when it's time to learn how to call elk, um, I kind of knew how to manipulate the call, but I'd never even heard an elk bugle in real life before. Just I'd watched on, on these, these videos. So I would watch the video, listen to the elk or the guy on TV or on the video call, and then I would try to mimic it. And uh, I, you know, my first year before I, before September 1st came, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting this down. I can call pretty good. I, I can, I can make some noises. And then, you know, the opening day of season and a bull elk starts bugling and he starts grunting and chuckling. And I'm like, okay, I'm way off. I got to make some corrections here. So. For me, I would, I just started mimicking what those bulls were doing and, you know, trying to, trying my best to, you know, to copycat or mimic the sounds they were and and little by little every year, it just got better and better and better. And I had a buddy, you know, uh, teach me about the lip ball, you know, where you buzz your lips and that one's super hard to do. You know, you got to buzz your lips on your tube and then use your diaphragm uh, call at the same time to, to get that big raspy um, call. And that's, I probably struggle with that more than anything. Um, but I was like, you know what, dang it, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. So for about a month straight in one winter, I sat around the house, sitting on the couch, blowing, blowing my buzzing my lips on my <laughs> tube and trying to figure out how to do it. I finally figured it out, but, uh, I found that if you learn, if you just put your lips on your tube, <laughs> and buzz them and get really good and comfortable with just making that buzz and then introducing that, that read in there along with the buzz and, and try to make that mosquito noise again. We always go back to that mosquito sound because that high pitch is 
a lot of folks struggle with that, but they introduce that, that buzz to the, with the mosquito noise. And you'll get it, but it takes a lot of practice. Um, a lot of folks, you know, they, they want the quick and easy way. A lot of times like, Oh, I just, just, Tell me the secret, the secret sauce and <laughs> give me the magic bullet and I'm going to go use it. But, you know, it takes a long time. You're not, you're not going to pick up a, a, a elk bugle, elk calls and sound like me on, on day one. I've uh, been doing this 32 years. Now, some people are pretty fast learners and pick up, <laughs> catch on pretty quick. And, and I've, I've met some young kids that are fantastic callers and they're, they're about as good as I am, if, you know. It'd be a pretty, pretty good toss up. It's, it's crazy, but you know, those kids are sitting around blowing on elk bugles all the time. So, um, it takes practice. Yeah, no, I think it's funny. Cause, uh, my kids will be sitting around watching YouTube or something. We watched like an episode of you and born on raised outdoors going hunting and you were bugling and my daughters each picked up a bugle tube and just with their mouth made and replicated pretty, pretty freaking good, uh, uh, like locator bugles and I was like wow yeah that's pretty good for no read or nothing just using their mouth but they've got that <laughs> high pitch in their little scream anyway that they're always oh, running yeah. around the house screaming so it, it makes sense it's kind of you know so my next question would be um, do you think turkey callers somebody who uses mouth diaphragm it can pick it up quicker or anything like that because they're used to those vocalizations maybe a saxophone player even I don't know yeah um, de definitely a saxophone player. I used to play a saxophone. You, must, you must've heard that. You must've heard that on uh, the Steve Rinella, didn't you? Somebody, somebody might've mentioned uh, somebody, something. Somebody might've said something. Um, uh, yeah, I think turkey callers, you know, have a, a leg up because, you know, they've, they've kind of made friends with that diaphragm in their mouth and, and they've got past the gag reflex a little bit. And, you know, darn it. There's some people that just, they're not built for it though. They have a narrowed, um, palate you know, or a deep palate and try as they might, you know, they can't get a sound out of a diaphragm. Um, I go to these elk shaped camps. I teach people to call elk at these elk shaped camps every year. I, I talk to people at the trade shows and I'd say one to two people out of 10, they have a, a palate, the shape of their mouth just doesn't work with a, with a, a diaphragm and you know they've been kind of like fighting this thing for a while and they're like man i just think i can't get it they can't figure it out but once they figure out that you know darn it your your mouth built a little different than everybody else then then they're like okay okay and they're going to try some new things to try to, to try to call but um yeah it's just trial and error you know some people catch on i've got i think i have a really like a really good shaped palate for elk calls um <laughs> I just, I've all the things, you know, somebody gives gifted with the Lord bless you with a good palate. <laughs> the good Lord blessed me with a, with a real nice palate. Mighty know? fine palate. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't give me a fully functional brain or even good looks, but by God, I got a palate like nobody else. <laughs> real nice. <laughs> so so uh, those people that have the malformed palate or the palate that's not the right shape for a diaphragm, they probably use a uh, pink diaphragm then is that the preferred diaphragm for yeah they, yeah that's that, i just pushed that one off on them yeah, you guys should probably use the pink call the pink <laughs> Ma maverick's yeah. just not working you should probably use the pink yeah only the real 
Only the real callers can use Maverick. So let's kind of dive into that a little <laughs> no. bit then. I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, curious. Uh, so what's the whole, uh, the, the pink Maverick and pink feud and, and does it, does it live on? Um, oh yeah. It always lives on. It's funny. Um, ever since I've known Jason, then I love to give that guy crap. Right. Um, we kind of have a little banter goes back and forth. We kind of get little jabs on each other and, and he's got a funny little giggle when he laughs. He has this little giggle. So I'm always trying to get that little <laughs> giggle out of him. Right. Cause it makes me giggle. And, uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's really competitive. So, um, he'd be like, dang it. You're selling more Mavericks. I got to do something to sell more pinks than you or whatever. And, uh, we always have this little back and forth. And then one day I, I made a meme with the guy sitting at the table with the sign that says, you know, it says change my mind at the end. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I put on there Mavericks are better than pinks change my mind. And I posted that on, on social and, and he's like, okay, let's, we're going to play this. So then we just had this meme war going back and forth and he'd, I'd make a meme, he'd make a meme. And, and pretty <laughs> soon we had people making memes for us. And man, it was hilarious. It was so funny. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're a goofball, you know, but we did turn off a few people. Some people are just like, you guys are idiots, you know, and <laughs> I thought you guys were better than this. And, and which is, it's, that's fine. I guess <laughs> they've I, never probably watched a video of you then I'm guessing. Because right. right. <laughs> I mean, it makes it's, me laugh. Like you look serious, right. Until you start doing something and then you just, uh, or like you I and try, Trent, I, like Trent from Born and Raised, like the two of you going back and forth, just the banter. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> which is He's funny fun. because I do recall him saying something about your clothes you were wearing, and then now look what you're wearing. You are wearing first light. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. He used to he used to get a lot of digs in my, in me on when I used to wear Sitka, you know, because he wanted me to wear first light real bad. And like, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, he's. He's pretty funny. You know, it's funny because I try to like really like, keep a stone face and say funny crap <laughs> to be where like people don't know if I'm being serious or not, like pretty sarcastic. But if you didn't know me, like I even get my wife sometimes and she'll be like, man, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm just being funny. I'm like, it's sarcasm. She's like, I'm not getting it. I'm like, all right, all right. I need to work on my delivery. <laughs> I need to, I need to work on my delivery, like be a little, you know, crack a smile a little bit sometimes when I'm saying stuff, because I think some people are like, hey, serious. What's wrong with him? <laughs> I don't know. I find it funny, but maybe I have an off sense of humor or something. But uh, so oh. what, what's the deal like with the wrestling and stuff? Like, <laughs> wasn't there like, a... so, <laughs> so, so this whole banter and this whole feud between Phelps and I and our, our diaphragms, I said, Hey Phelps, I said, why don't we have a contest and see who can sell the most diaphragms in the month of August and who, whoever the loser is has to dress up like your favorite wrestler. Well, his favorite wrestler was Hulk Hogan. Mine was macho man, Randy Savage. Right. Yeah. And so we put this out on the, the interwebs and, and, uh, Oh man, it was so fun. We had all these people sending us funny memes and stuff. And, and, uh, some of them were, we shared and some were inappropriate. <laughs> we couldn't <laughs> share it all, but dang it. We had fun. And, uh, anyway, I, we, 
in the end, you know, I, I can't really tell you who, who sold more calls, you know, but I, I don't, Jason's kind of a sore loser. So I wouldn't want to tell everybody, you know, who won. So <laughs> somebody, somebody has the numbers, right? I mean, the numbers Somebody's are there. got the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then he had to wear, he had to wear the, the Hulk Hogan suit. And I'm like, well, I said, I'm a good sport. I'm going to wear that stupid macho man suit too. And I was telling Trent about it. And uh, I said, Trent, will you dress up too? If I wear macho man suit, he's like, yeah, why not? I'll do it. Um, so, so where I'm like, okay, how about this one? Oh no, that guy's too scary. Oh no, I can't pull that one off. And then I said, how about this Nacho Libre one? And he's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. He might've had a little too much to drink that night. I might've like kind of, I might've took advantage of him in that way, <laughs> give him a little bit of extra something to drink and then talk him into do something really dumb. So man, that was fun. Why? We laughed so hard when we, we hunted with them stupid wrestling costumes on and we call in a bull and everything. We're dressed like idiots, man. It was, it was fun. It was, it was funny. Who else can say that? that they did that. It should have been a competition. <laughs> Probably not too many people, but, uh, but Phelps killed Phelps killed his bull in, in a Hulk Hogan suit. See, so, that's what I was going mean, to say he, is it should have been the competition to see mm -hmm. who could kill it in the costume. And then, yeah, then we could case, have the pink one. Yeah, we should have took it to that next level. Okay, <laughs> now whoever kills wearing that gets to do has to get something, and whoever don't has to do something else. We should I should have rethought that a little better. <laughs> dang it! But he beat you. It's over. He, he beat me. He, yeah, so, dang it. So let's talk about like it, what what are the differences between the calls, and what would you recommend trying to get serious again? I know it's hard, but. <laughs> Well, basically the Maverick it's for men and the pink is for women. No, just kidding. <laughs> and little girls. <laughs> no. Uh, so the Maverick has a pretty thick latex. It's stretched pretty tight. Whereas the pink one has a little bit thinner latex and not as much of a tight stretch. So if, if you feel like you don't really blow that super hard on your calls, um, you know, the pink one would do a little better for you. But if you, if you feel like you wear your calls out a lot or, if you get like me, like when I get to working up a bowl, I, I always overblow and blow too hard. And you know, I'll, I'll, I used to just wreck just normal reads. So I wanted this thing built to be tough. That would withstand, you know, my, my idiotic blowing, my idiotic uh, calling. And, uh, and it does, and it does. But I always thought, you know, people who are aggressive callers will like this and probably no one else will. But there's a lot of new people that like it too, um, to new to calling. Um, they try all of them and, and, um, they like that one for some reason it's been a, a good, good recipe, but, but then there's some people that can't blow it at all. You know, they, they, they prefer one of our other diaphragms and unfortunately sometimes those are pink. So what about like the, the white or the green or, you know, all these different other, other calls, what are those kind of specified yeah. for? Yeah. So, so the, the, the white one, it has a pretty thick latex, like the Maverick, but it doesn't have the near the stretch to it. So, um, it's not quite as articulate for those bugles and screams and stuff, but, but, and I can blow it. I could blow all the calls with, with, uh, you know, pretty well, but, um, the white one is probably my least favorite, but I've, I've got a buddy, uh, Jermaine Hodge. He's a world champion elk caller and he can make that sucker just sing and he prefers it over the Maverick. So, Everybody has a little different calling style. Everybody has a little different shape mouth. Everybody blows a little different. So that's why we have all these varieties, you know, like the green one you mentioned, it's got a semi thin 
latex with a kind of a pretty, a fair, fairly tight stretch. Um, so there's, I think we got 11 different, 11 different calls in those amp diaphragms and uh, they're all just different latexes and stretches. Uh, that way there's, there's something for everybody. That's because I think, I think the one that I found I could produce the best sound out of. Now, then again, I didn't have a Maverick and I didn't have a ping. <laughs> so I think I bought like two, two variety packs, one to practice with and one to like, you know, that way if they were broken or worn out, you could go to the next one. But um, I think it was either the white or the gray one that, that seemed to produce the best sound for me. I think it might have been the gray. So that would have been yeah. a hev heavy one then it's right in the middle of the road it's just one notch below the pink as far as thickness of latex and stretch so it's act it's actually our, probably our most popular call um easy to use um you can get some really great calls out of it really great tones and sounds out of it and it's not um and, it, and it's it's fairly durable for you know your your average blower you know the guy that kind of blows kind of a medium medium hard so yeah that's that's a that's a really good one. So, so you're saying the, that guy, that guy wouldn't be a blowhard then. <laughs> no, no, not at all. He'd be a very truthful individual. <laughs> so, uh, so then, I mean, so do, do each of those calls kind of have their own, like, is it like a, you know, an old bull or a young bull, or does it kind of just really depend on the actual, the bugler we'll say in air quotes there, who's doing it. Yeah, it, I think it's real subjective to the caller, you know, um, they're all, they all can make every sound there is, you know, whether you're trying to, you know, you want to sound like an old bull, then you give a little more growl in your voice. Maybe you don't push quite as hard or maybe you do. I mean, it's everyone's definition of what an old bull and a young bull sounds like too is different. I got guys telling me about, oh, you got to do a spike squeal. Just got to do a spike squeal. Well, dang it. I haven't had a lot of I haven't heard a lot of spike squeals, right? Usually <laughs> spike spikes from my experience have this God awful moany, weird bugle, like a kid going through puberty, like, <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of like that. It's more of that than a, than a little squeal. Um, so there, the bulls will make all sorts of different noises. So, but, a, but a spike squeal, I, I never really got that one, but, um, but they're all very capable. Of it, you know that that's always kind of been to me. Okay, to me, it's always been the mis, misnomer on on packaging of calls, like old bull, young bull, cow, young calf, or I mean, there's some calls that will make it like a, a calf call a little better. The ones that have a little tighter stretch, you know, they're going to be more prone to make a calf call or like a high pitched scream or bugle. But that doesn't mean this other guy that blows on it, he might be able to make those same calls really well with a call that's not really labeled as such. So um, that's why we built our call matrix. It, it kind of shows, you know, the different thicknesses of, of latex, the stretches of latex and kind of where they stack up. And, and um, I always tell people, you know, whether you're buying my brand or you're buying brand X, get three or four calls. I mean, uh, it's a little bit of an investment, you know, you're probably spending 50, 60 bucks in the end, you know, to experimenting with calls. But uh, there'll be some of them that, oh, yeah, that one's okay. And, oh, I really like that one. And, you know, find the one you really like and then stick with it. Practice, 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 get better. And a lot of times you'll find those other ones that were just kind of so-so or okay in the beginning. 
you, you might find you like them a little better after you practice with them. So it's not like you find your one and you're done. You throw the rest away. Chances are they're still, still really good um, for that. But, but I do, I will say um, some guys, you know, they need those, you know, little different stretches of latex to produce different sounds. And some guys will carry four or five different ones in their pouch just to try to have different sounds and stuff. Um, you trying to get, you know, elk to bite on a little different tone or whatever. So, which is good, which is good. Um, I like to keep it simple. I keep one, I only keep one kind of call in my pouch. That way it's, I know what I got. Um, and I can do all the sounds anyway. So, um, so, um, I'm kind of curious then. So say you buy these calls, how long is latex going to last? How long are you keeping it for? And I mean, especially say you keep it in your truck and you're driving around practicing in your truck or something like that. And you're keeping it in the summertime, right? And, you know, your, mm-hmm. truck, your truck's getting hot. What's it doing to that latex? And how long should you have it before? I mean, are you keeping it until you notice a degradation in sound? Or is it some something else? Yeah. So I so there's a couple of different things that kill diaphragms, right? Um, prematurely. UV light and excessive saliva, okay? You keep your, if you, if you're the guy that's like, nope, I put my diaphragm in my mouth when I get out of the truck and it don't leave till I go to bed. You hear those, you talk to those fellas every, every year. Right. But the problem with that is you don't get the life out of your diaphragms. Um, it degrades the, the latex. And also if you're keeping it in there wet all the time, the uh, sticky part of the tape will kind of delaminate and start coming apart. So, um, and also the performance of a, a, a saturated reed is not as, as good it's not nearly as articulated as a, a nice dry read so i always encourage people put your diaphragm if you're not blowing it calling elk actively right then put it in your little pouch your little carrier whatever you use i recommend a little pouch that way it's easy access keep it in there let it dry out in between calling sessions it's going to last longer and then also you're not going to chew on it I'm a, i have a bad problem with chewing on the corner of it I'll, if i have it in my mouth very long and if i'm not calling elk i'm hiking I'll get to chewing on the side and pretty soon that thing gets start, starts falling apart because I chew it up. So it's a discipline thing for me, for me to pull it out. So I don't ruin my read, you know? Um, but also that UV light, if you're leaving it in your truck exposed to UV light, that's it's, it's hard on your diaphragms. You know, if you have to have it in your truck, put it in your console, throw it under the seat, put it in the jockey box, you know, the heat, the heat's kind of hard on them too, but not nearly like the UV light. That's good to know. So, um, I think that's all I've got to ask you. Um, but before we go, I kind of want to ask you, you know, if you could tell everybody where they can find you, find out more information on calling, cause I'm pretty sure you got like the elk collective and stuff like that. Right. Right. So, uh, I'm easy to find on Instagram. It's the bugler, one word, the bugler, one word, uh, Facebook, the bugler, and uh, YouTube, the bugler, one word. I've got lots of elk hunting videos. Um, I have about a six video series on how to use the calls. So um, if you're wanting to, you know, learn how to use the calls, um, get on there. It goes every the video number one's uh, diaphragm selection, how to select the right one for you, and then we work on those fundamental sounds all the way up to the more advanced calls. So um, so you can check that out. Um, Jason and I, uh, Dan Staten and John Gabriel, we started a thing last year called the Elk Collective. It's a, it's an educational, uh, online education, video based. So if you want to learn how to hunt elk, 
and you don't have any idea where to even start, or maybe you're just an old seasoned vet, but you're always looking to put another arrow or two in your quiver, then that might be something cool to check out. Um, so it's the Elk Collective. It's a, it's a pay to play type website. You, you subscribe, you can do subscribe for a month. You can subscribe for a year, just it depends, but it's video based and you can, uh, you can, well, I think we got like 140 videos on there now. So it's going to take you some time to, to dig through all that stuff. And it's not just, you know, my stuff or Jason stuff. There's, there's a, a several, uh, a collective, if you will, of elk hunting knowledge on there that way. Cause you know, I can sit here and tell you all day about how I do it, but that may not resonate with you. You may think, yeah, I don't know, but somebody else, the way they do it, it's like that, you know, that really, you know, really, really strikes a nerve. It's like, I, yeah, I like what that guy says. And I always say you never can have too many, te- to de- too many tactics to put in your pocket. Um, I'm always listening to everybody else. I'm not, you know, I've been doing this, like I said, 32 years, but I'm not too damn proud to, to listen to other folks tactics and be like, Oh, I kind of like the sound of that. I'm going to give that a try next time I'm out there. So I'm always looking to get better. And, and I think there's, you know, a lot of people are too, but anyway, that's, uh, that's where you can find my stuff. So Dirk, I got to ask you, where would one, you know, some, somebody might listen to this and go, you know what, maybe I'd like to try that too. So where can they go and get a uh, Macho Man Randy Savage costume so they can try and pursue elk with one? Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Yeah. Click, click the link below. No, just no, that's Amazon's where I got it though. And it was a pretty legit costume. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, uh, it was nacho, pretty legit. Did Nacho Libre come from there too or? It did. It did. It was expensive. I paid like 70 bucks for that stupid thing. Man. And, uh, not and quite. Trent, he just, when he took it off, he just wadded up and threw it on the ground. Can you believe that? I mean, I paid good money for that. $70. Thing. Right... That costume yeah. was almost as much as the knowledge you could get from the Elk Collective. Almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. But I think, I think you could use a promo code too that I just saw on the website, Elk Tag. And then yes. that costume is more expensive than all the knowledge, the 200 and something videos that you can watch. That's right. So and with the price of gas these days, oh. it's like the, it's like cheaper than a tank of gas. <laughs> Pretty close. It's getting there. I, <laughs> I put a hundred dollar, I put a hundred dollar bill in my pickup, like $102 the other day. It was bone dry. And wow. I was like, holy cow, man. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's climbing. So your, your trip out is probably going to be more expensive than your elk tag pretty soon here, but uh different story know, right? for a different day. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you could check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.